Amen. Good morning, Harlem. So far, we started off with a great worship service. It was good to see Vinny up here doing what he do. And James and Rebecca taking us to the foot of the cross. And I don't know about you, but I felt challenged by their, uh, their journey, you know, just being ready. Ready when the Lord is ready to take you somewhere that you're not prepared to go. So I think the takeaway is we got to be prepared. Amen. Well, today we're going to uh, finish up part two of my message on how to enjoy the people in your life. Let's go to God with the word of prayer. I think some of us are going to need some prayer. So let's pray. Our great and awesome Father, we thank you so much uh, for my great service so far. Father, I pray that my words will be yours. And Father, that you really will help us and equip us on how to enjoy the people that you put in our lives. Uh, Father, we don't get to choose our family. Uh, we can choose our friends. We don't get to choose our enemies. Sometimes our friends became our enemies and vice versa. Uh, we don't get to choose the children you give us, and they don't get to choose their parents. And so, Father, it, it's in our favor to enjoy the people uh, that you put in our lives. And sometimes, God, uh, the people that are the hardest to get along with are the ones that we need the most because they teach us to love like Jesus. And I pray, God, that today we will uh, have a deeper conviction about enjoying the people in our lives. We love you and thank you. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So just a, a quick recap. Uh, we were coming out of the book of Philippians. If you're joining us for the first time, uh, we're coming out of the book of Philippians uh, where Paul is uh, encouraging us about relationships. You know, Paul has such a positive attitude when it came to relationships that he decided to write a book about it. Um, you know, we talked about how to enjoy the people of our, in our lives. And, you know, the first thing we talked about was appreciating the good in people. It's so easy to get caught up in the bad in people, right? It's so easy to get caught up in people's uh, faults and, and imperfections and, and all the little things that annoy us that we forget to, to see the good in people. And uh, so we don't have to work at looking for the bad in people. I think we're professionals at that by nature, but it really does take effort to look for the good in people and to remind yourself and appreciate that. Uh, in Philippians uh, 1 verse 3, he said, I thank God every time I remember you. You know, I think that's a great goal to have is we want to be, we want to thank God every time we think about the people that's in our life, right? Paul chose to remember the good times. He had a rough time in Philippi. He was imprisoned. He was arrested illegally. He was stripped and beaten. He was severely flogged and thrown into prison. But Paul didn't focus on that. Paul chose to focus on the good things, on the positive experiences. And the practical we gave was to remember the best and forget the rest. That doesn't mean we excuse people's sin against us. It doesn't mean that we just ignore the wrong. It just means that we're not going to dwell on it because it really doesn't help our relationships, right? It doesn't help your relationship if you focus on the negative, if you focus on the hurt. It doesn't mean you excuse or give that person a pass. It just means that I choose not to be held down and imprisoned by this hurt any longer because you're the one that's really suffering, right? 
The people that hurt us sometimes, they don't even know they hurt you. And they're happy. They're going on about their life, and you're sitting there stewing, and all unhappy. And they're, what's wrong with you? And you don't like, you forget what you said to me. You forget what you done. I said, what? I did what? They going on with their life. So who's the real prisoner? It's to our advantage to focus on the best and forget the rest. You know, we talked about positive praying. You know, praying positively for people, praying faithfully for people. Philip, uh, Philippians 1 verse 4, and all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. You know, Paul prayed positive things for the people in his life. And the quickest way to change the sin in people, I wanted to clarify that, the sin in people, right? Because we don't want, to, we don't want people to conform to what we think is right. We want to change what's not like Jesus in people. And prayer is powerful. It's a powerful tool to see that happen in others. If there's someone who's deceitful, then you pray about it. If you talk to them, if they ignored your advice, if they were not open to sitting down and talking about it, and if you put it out there, then you need to take it to God because people are powerless to the power of prayer. I'm a testimony. I'm a testament to that. My mom prayed for me all my life, and I did not want to become a preacher. But her and my grandmother must have teamed up and prayed me into the ministry because that was nowhere on my radar. If you want people to go in the direction that God wants to take them, pray specifically for those things in their lives. Amen? Uh, now, if you want to enjoy the people in your life, I got two more points to wrap up our, our uh, little study here. We got to be patient with people. Now, I'm preaching to myself right here because that is the one thing that I have to pray often for is patience with people. I think we can be patient with ourselves. Think about the last thing you changed. I mean, really changed in your life. You can be patient. Now think about the thing that you've been waiting for someone else to change. Are you just as patient? We can be easy on ourselves. Well, look, hey, nobody's perfect. That's what we say, right? Look, I'm not perfect. You need to be patient with me. And then when someone sins against us, and they got, you know, these, these little, these little uh, 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 you know, little things that they, they just, just get under your skin, and you're like, oh, can you change that? And they hadn't, and it's still showing up because it's part of their character. We got to be patient. We have to be patient with people's progress. You know, we all start off as a seed. Someone has planted the seed in our hearts. Someone planted it a long time ago before you even realized who Jesus Christ was. Someone, God had allowed a seed to be planted in your heart. And God is the ultimate example of patience. Because God waited for that seed to sprout and grow in your heart. And then you started to acknowledge that there's something greater than, than myself here. There's some higher power. You may not have been able to identify it, but you know that there's something other than me at work here. That seed was planted by God way back when he created Adam and Eve. Because God created us in his image. God created this desire, this hunger for our relationship 
when he created man. So there's always a thirst in your heart, in, your, in, the, in the depths of your soul that can only be fulfilled by God. And God is patient, waiting for you to figure that out. Now, you may have had hundreds of people. My wife has been reached out to nine times before she decided, hey, you know what? Let me sit down here and find out what God is doing. I mean, some of us have been reached out to multiple times before we decided to sit down and finally figure out, you know, what is God? Why do I keep meeting these people? Why do they keep talking to me about Why do they keep inviting me to this church? What's, what's so special about this church? Why, why do I need to go to church at all? Why do people keep talking to me about God? Why do strangers walk up to me and tell me about God? And, and why does this talk about heaven? And, it's because God is trying to get your attention. God's been trying to get your attention. And sometimes he has to shut our life down in order for us to give him an audience and finally listen to what he has to say. So God has been patient. Now Paul, what I love about Paul when it comes to people, is that Paul looked at people's future and not just at their past. He didn't look at who people, where they came from only. He, he didn't look at who they were right then and there. Paul envisioned that people would always grow. He had great vision for people. He looked at their potential. He was patient with their progress. In Philippians 1, verse 6, it says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Paul is saying that what God starts, God finishes. Yeah, I love this passage in Jeremiah 18. He talks about the potter. You know, God doesn't leave work incomplete, incomplete. You know, but the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. You know, we're like a lump of clay, shapeless, formless, until God gets his hands on your life. And then when God gets his hand on your life, the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best for him. Now, if you're concerned about God's ability to shape and mold and create, take a look outside when you go outside. Look at the trees. Who designed the trees? Look up at the sky. God shaped the clouds. He shaped the sky. If you ever get a chance to visit one of our great national parks, uh, uh, the Grand Canyon, God carved that canyon with his fingers. The earth that we inhabit was shaped by God. The Bible says that he measured the universe with the breadth of his hands. I think God knows what he's doing. So when your life is in the hands of God, you want him to be the one that shapes and molds because God knows exactly what he's doing. What God starts in your life, he will ultimately bring to completion. You know, mankind is great at starting, but we are terrible at finishing things, right? I got projects right now in my house that I started, and if not, I'm tripping over projects that I started and didn't finish. We're great at, we get ambitious. We want to start things, you know, buildings. I mean, how long has it taken, has it taken for them to finish that Boys and Girls Club on 145th between Broadway and Amsterdam? 
I mean, we used to remember we used to do Jericho walks around that building and say, God, give us this building because nobody else is doing anything with it. They finally did something. I mean, we are just not great at starting and finishing. What about diets? Some of us are still trying to keep to the to the to the <laughs> the New Year's resolution we made back in 1990 something. I know I am, right? We start, but we're not great at finishing. We had a great barbecue yesterday with the preteen ministry. And let me tell you, at the beginning of the week, I started on, you know, my plan to shed some pounds. But yesterday, I'm like, see, this is exactly what I'm talking about. I went there expecting hot dogs and some frozen hamburgers. You know what I mean? You know, I'm not expecting a whole lot because that's how we do it. You go, you get you some hamburgers. They broke out the ribs. They had barbecue chicken. I mean, and, and I mean, I, they put their foot all up in it. I'm like, and then Gene Legere shows up with this big pack of hamburgers about that thick. And I'm like, what are you about to do with that? Bro, we about to get, we about to, I'm like, what? I mean, so you, you start your diet. We got projects, relationships, right? Some parents start off having kids, but they don't always stay in their kid's life. You start, don't finish. Studying the Bible. Some people have started studying the Bible, and once they hit that cha- oh, wait a second, you guys are serious about Jesus. So this is just about me placing membership in your church. You guys are actually serious about me following Jesus? You know what? Uh, I need some time. We start. We don't finish. Man doesn't always finish what he starts, but God always finishes what he starts. When Jesus starts working on your life, he will complete what he started, even with your hang-ups, even with all your faults, even with all your bad decisions, even with every sin in your body. Even with all your insecurities, through all circumstances that you face, God is going to finish what he started in your life. Because God is not done with you yet. So what should we do? Since God is so patient, we have to be patient. Very simple, practical. We have to be patient with one another. God is not finished with people. He's still working on us. And so we need to be patient with people's progress. God didn't say that we need to wait on your timetable. We wait on his timetable because God's patience is unlimited. Now, let me just clarify something here because that doesn't mean that we have an excuse now to be lazy. Oh, well, God is patient. I don't have to, I don't have to work on this right now. That's not what I'm saying. It doesn't even mean that you have an excuse to be passive. You still have to be diligent. You still have to be urgent about being like Jesus, about working on the things in your life that needs to change and and make it easier for people to enjoy you. So as people are, as you're hearing this message, I know sometimes in my brain, I'm thinking, well, I got some time, then I can put this off. If you're a procrastinator by nature, 
then you need to hear this. Because when we hear patience, we get, we think, oh, I don't have to work on this right now. No, you need to still work on it. Because time is short. But we have to allow room for people to grow and make mistakes. You know, I think God, I know many of you, some of you know, but James McPherson was the first person to mentor me in the ministry. Um, and, and I don't know if he even remembers this, but it was my first campus retreat as a disciple. He did this lesson on David's mighty men. I remember the lesson. I remember everything. And he preached about Eleazar. And that became one of my favorite characters of the Bible. When his hand was frozen to the sword, he was in battle, and everybody else deserted him. But he stayed, and he fought, and he got this great victory for God. And I'm like, that's who I want to be. I want to be like Eleazar. James preached that message, and I remember writing in my prayer journal, if I ever went into the ministry, I want him to be the one to train me. And I prayed that prayer when I finally surrendered to God about going into ministry. Because up until that point, I was like, I don't want to have any parts of the ministry. He inspired me to want to go into the ministry. And so I prayed, I prayed, and I'll never forget sitting down with the church leader at the time. And he said, hey, we want to give you an internship in the ministry. And I was like, amen. You know, I thought I was going to stay in Manhattan. He said, we want you to go to Harlem. I'm like, okay. And I had that same thought that everybody else, is anything good come out of Harlem? You know, like, like, is anything good come out of, out of Nazareth? And I'm thinking, wait a second. I didn't even hang out in Harlem when I was in the world. I'm like, okay, all right. And this was the deal. That, this, was what, this is what sealed the deal. He said, James McPherson is going to train you. And I was like, okay, let's make this happen. But, you know, I was rough. around the edges and God knew exactly who to put in my life to chip away and I am so grateful for this brother's patience and his vision because it stayed with me and that's how I look today for people that I work for people that I look for to raise up I'm like they're rough but I'm not going to give up on them because guys like James didn't give up on me. And it may not always result in going into the full-time ministry, but a lot of the men in this room today have been raised up because someone was patient with their progress and was willing to chip away at the edges. We have to allow room for people to grow and develop. I tried to make it easier for him because of his patience, not difficult. Paul could say, I'm not the man I used to be, but I am who I am because of God's patience in my life. In 1 Timothy 14, 1 verse 14, you know, Paul is very clear to Paul. He said, the grace of our Lord is poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the the world to save the sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience. You know, some of us are going to be Jesus' guinea pigs 
of unlimited patience. They're just going to be brothers and sisters who will give us a run for our money. Who's not going to make it easy. And it's not because I believe they're trying to make. I think because of what Paul said. There are just some people who are, who are just going to need more grace. Who's going to need unlimited patience. Some people get it right away and they're good. Oh, you know, they're like the prodigal son, the, the, the big brother of the prodigal son. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm still here. I stayed. They're that guy. But then there's some of us who are going to go off and just do things. And you're like, what are you thinking? And they'll come right back because of God's unlimited patience. And we got to have that perspective that, you know what? However many times you need to come back, you come back. But as long as you come back. See, when you're impatient with people, they don't feel like they can come back. They don't feel welcome. They feel like no matter what they do, they'll never measure up. They'll never add up. That's not God. Paul said, because of the grace of our Lord, it was poured out on me abundantly. How many times have you blown it? Now, you can't be comparing yourself to the weakest Christian among us. Because when you compare yourself in that fact, you become the older brother in that story. You become bitter. You become resentful. Well, wait a second. I've been faithful. I've been single for X amount of years. This person's been doing this. They've done this. And God has given them a spouse. God has given them what I've been asking for. Got to guard your heart. I've been working hard. I've been sacrificing. I've been giving generously. Why do they get a house? And I'm still up in this building. No grass. Can't even take a prayer walk. We're going to a barbecue at their house. They got a lawn. They got a deck. They got birds. I got pigeons. Because we know pigeons... Ain't really birds. Y'all know that, right? All right. I just wanted, just wanted to make sure y'all know. Paul's response to God's grace, unlimited patience, was repentance. Paul said, you know, because of his unlimited, I need to change. I'm going to grow. I'm going to give God my absolute best. Like James and Rebecca said, I will go anywhere. God called me because of his unlimited patience. That's the attitude Paul had. That was his response to God's patience. He was eager to grow. He was eager to learn. He was eager to give back because God had shown him unlimited patience. How are you responding to God's unlimited patience in your life? You know, Paul didn't just keep this lesson to himself. Paul infused this in Timothy's heart. He, he made this a part of his practice. He taught this to Timothy so that when Timothy went to Crete, Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, and what else? Patience. Patience. You know, when we're helping to mentor people in Christ, it's one thing for them to know what you believe, your teaching. It's another thing for them to know your life, how you live your life, how you carry it, how, do you, how you treat your wife, how you treat your kids. 
your purpose, what you're all about, to see your faith in action. But do, do they know about your patience? Are you patient with people? Do you use that to call people higher? Hey, you know what? You need to be patient like I am. That's a pretty high calling. That's, that's really a, a, a very powerful thing to be able to say. I'm a patient person. Because patience is a decision. You have to decide to be patient or impatient. It's not a gift. It's a discipline that we all can be strong in. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, he tells Timothy, preach the word, be prepared in season and out, correct, rebuke, and encourage, and do this all with great patience and careful instruction. That means people aren't always going to do it the way you want them to do it. People aren't always going to live up to your expectations. People aren't always going to respond the way you want them to. People aren't always going to respond when you want them to. They're not going to respond how you want them to. Great patience. Great patience and careful instruction. You know, Paul taught Timothy that patience should always characterize his attitude when he dealt with people, especially in the church. Now, you can't control people outside the church. I'm sorry to say, but you just can't. But I think we can set great examples for them outside the church. You know, your marriage, if you want to enjoy your marriage, you've got to learn to enjoy your spouse right now. While allowing room for growth and development. I thank God that my wife and I will be celebrating 20 years of marriage come next year. Now, I'm grateful for 19. I could be honest with you, I was terrified. When we first got married, because I thought, man, she's going to see me. She's going to see the real me. Is she going to want to stick around after year two? But when you're dating, you don't really get to see the real person. I'm just letting you, I'm going to burst your bubble right now. All right? When you go home after church and what that person does with their clothes, that's the real them. I will come home after church, after a long day of preaching the word of God and, 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 and fellowshipping and studying the Bible and this suit. Ah, ah. Got time to put nothing on no hangers. I'm tired. Turn the TV on. And my wife come home and she's like, what in the name of all that is? She had to be patient. That's just how I rolled after church. I'll get to it later. Tired. So we had to have some discussions. Hey, do you normally do that? Yeah. I didn't see anything wrong with it. My roommates of them didn't see anything wrong with it. Because we were all doing it. <laughs> she started to see the real me. There were little things that I used to do that, that annoyed her. And I'm like, this didn't bother the brothers. So why are you upset? But I cracked my knuckles. I mean, they, you know, like... She was patient. And I'm telling you guys, you know, marriages, you, you're, you go through seasons. Sometimes you're in a great season. 
And then sometimes you're not. You can't be so quick to jump and bail ship when you're in rough waters. Even if you're not in a good place right now, you've got to be willing to be patient. Repentance could be right around the corner. Sometimes what people need to see is that you love them, not just hear it. They need to actually see it. And sometimes that love is shown by being patient. You know, I thank God that all the things that came up in our marriage, my wife didn't decide, hey, you know what? I'm done. We've gone through a lot. There were times where we went, I went through a bout of depression. She was right there with me, and it was hard. I can imagine how hard it was for her. But she stuck by my side. And I look back, and I'm thinking, there is no way on earth I could leave this woman. She seen me at my absolute worst, and she didn't throw in the towel. Where am I going? Who am I going to? You know, Paul, James tells us that consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Many kinds can include marital, parenting, relational, many kinds. He said because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. You know what perseverance is? It's another word for grit. When you hang in there, it, it gives you this grit, this toughness that we otherwise would not have developed had we had not gone through an intense trial. There's no, you can't go to Whole Foods and buy grit. You can't order perseverance from Amazon. It has to be developed through trial, through testing. You have to endure. You have to stand firm. You can't move and you can't bail out or take shortcuts because then you delay the progress. You halt the process. And God has to start all over again. You got to stand firm. You got to hang in there. You got to ask God to give you the strength to weather this storm. And then once he does... You'll come out on it a lot tougher, a lot stronger. So when that next storm comes, you're not so easily blown over because you've made it through that last storm. Parenting. You know, I tell you, I am so grateful for my kids. But it's hard being a parent. If you're going to learn to enjoy your kids, you've got to learn to enjoy them in the process of them growing. You know, I think initially parents, we, we, we see baby pictures and we see other people with their kids in service. We're like, oh, I can't wait. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dress them up like a little mini-me. Noah, Noah left the hospital in a Knicks uniform. He, he, he left the hospital in the next onesie. I couldn't wait. I had that thing. The hat was too big for him. I didn't care. I put it right on his head. I'm like, my son is leaving the hospital a Nick fan. And he did. And he didn't even realize it. And let me tell you, and you know, when you get them in there, you don't know from the time of birth 
until the time that they're no longer your responsibility, which is never. Because trust me, as adults, my, you got $5? You, you're still going you, you, to have to be there, right? But we don't know the journey in between those lines. God does, but we don't. And we got to enjoy that process because it is rough. When they start getting to those years where now they got to go to school and you can't be there with them, you're used to being there with them every day, all day, and now you got to let them. That first day of school is rough. I mean, look, I'll admit it. I almost shed a tear. My, I'm letting my kids go to school. I'm like, man, they're going to be there all by themselves? Like, it, it's hard, that separation. And then they get older, and now they're going places by themselves, and they're going with their friends, and you see things on the news, and you're like, God, please keep them safe. And I've never been more terrified. I grew up in the inner city. There's not a whole lot that scares me. But as a parent, I tell you, man, you start wondering, like, man, do I want to let them go to this? Can I trust my son? He's a young African-American boy. And I'm like, you know, you start to wonder, and the fear is knocking on the door of your heart. That's part of the process. We grow as they grow. And we got to be willing. There's no perfect kid because there's no such thing as a perfect adult. Your kids are going to take you through emotional roller coasters over and over and over and over again. One minute you're like, oh, thank God. Next minute you're like, Jesus, help me. And you're like, oh, thank God. And then you're like, Jesus, help me. And you're like, oh, praise God. And then you're like, Jesus, please take the wheel. Finally, just take. Your friends, you got to enjoy your friends now. Be patient with the people in your life because they are patient with you. If you demand perfection of the people in your life in order to enjoy them, you're going to be miserable for the rest of your life. People are going to let you down. You just need to work that into the relationship. You just need to expect that somebody's going to let you down. Someone's not going to return your phone call. Someone's not going to remember your birthday. Your friend, they're, they're just not going to fit your perfect idea of a friend. Because no one thinks the way you do. And even when they do, they don't think every single thought the way you do. You just need to expect that and make some room for that and allowance that, you know, nobody's perfect. And my friends are not perfect. Paul says that he enjoyed the Philippians because he chose to focus on the good instead of the bad. And he was so grateful that he prayed these powerful prayers, these specific prayers, because he wanted to see the things in their lives get better. Someone at work is irritating you, pray for them. Pray for them. Don't pray to get fired. You know, just pray. <laughs> Lord, you know, I'm not, I don't want anybody to lose their livelihood, but maybe move them to a different department or different location. Someone in your home, your spouse, your children, your roommate, your siblings, pray for them. Pray that God will move in their lives. And watch what happens to your attitude. Because it's really about attitude. Paul's attitude was a positive one. Philippians 1 verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Discipleship is a process. Adulting is a process. We are all overcomers. And we're still growing. Amen? God never gave up on people, and neither can we. 
So to enjoy the people, lastly, in your life, you got to love people from the heart. Paul said in Philippians 1 verse 8, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. God can testify. This is what Paul is saying. God can testify of how I long for you. Can God testify that you love people this way? Paul was able to say, God can testify how I long to love you with the affection of Jesus. Now, the Bible teaches us that it's love that shows the true mark of discipleship. Not so much as how you know, because the Pharisees knew everything. But they didn't love people. And here in John 13, Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, what's amazing to me is that when Paul wrote this letter, Paul wasn't around the church. Paul wasn't a disciple. He didn't hear Jesus say what he said here in John 13. So how did Paul know how to love people with the affection of Jesus? I'm thinking that Paul saw it modeled by the disciples in the early church, starting with the brother who opened his eyes. Because when you remember, Paul used to persecute the church. Paul had people dragged out of prison, dragged into prison, and, and, and families separated. And then when Jesus intercepted Paul's life on the road to Damascus, they sent the brother to open his eyes. And that brother was like, are you serious? The guy who's persecuting the terrorist who's, who's threatening the, the Christian, you want me to go to him? And the whole church was terrified. But somebody had to show Paul the love of Christ. Somebody had to put all that aside, be obedient to the scriptures, and love this man because God had a plan for his life. I often wonder how many people how many Pauls we've overlooked because of their appearance, because of their history, because of their reputation? Imagine what God can do with a man like Paul right now, with a woman like Paul right now. We cannot let people's appearance, their reputation keep us from showing the love of Jesus. If that was the case, I wouldn't be here. I didn't look like a Christian when I was coming to church, when I was invited to church. I didn't talk like a Christian. I didn't walk like a Christian. I didn't carry my body. What does, a, what does an open person look like? Since we don't know, we need to love people like Jesus. Well, you're like, well, James, how did Jesus love? Jesus was unconditional in his love. Romans 8, verse 5, Romans 5, verse 8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for you to figure it out. He didn't wait for you to get it. He went to the cross. Jesus allowed himself to be inconvenient. You know, sometimes we don't like that. We don't like to find things out last minute. Hey, can you jump in this Bible study? I got a friend who wants to study the Bible. Oh, bro, I wish you would have called me sooner. You know, I, yeah, I made plans. 
Jesus allowed himself to be inconvenienced. Jesus allowed himself to be interrupted. How many of us, you know, Jesus, listen to scripture right here. It says that in verse 30 of Mark 6, verse 31 says, this is so many people came around going that they did not even have a chance to eat. Some of us will stop a conversation midway. Whoa, wait a second. I didn't eat anything. You know what? Can we pick this up later? Some of us will show up late to appointments because we didn't eat. We'll stop and get a slice or we'll stop and get something. Hey, I'm sorry. I'm late. I had to get I didn't eat all day. Jesus forgot to eat because he was enjoying people. Total opposite. When you enjoy people like Jesus, you allow your life to be interrupted. You allow yourself to be inconvenient. We're like, well, bro, I don't mind. As long as they don't make it a habit. It was a habit for Jesus. Jesus would be on his way to go see somebody, and they got somebody pulling them this way. Uh, who in the world? And he would stop and help that person out. We don't live in a perfect world with perfect schedules. If that was the case, let me tell you, if I, the ministry, I get inconvenienced all the time. That just comes with the job. It comes with the territory. You can't expect people to fit your expectation when it comes to schedule. Because how much, how much more do you feel love knowing that someone canceled a plan for you. How much more would you, hey, you know what? Don't even worry about it. You're more important. That's saying I love you without saying I love you. That's saying you're, you're that important to me. This is important to me. If it's got to, you know, we got to cut our, our, our vacation short for me to be there for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because that's what Jesus would do. And that's what Jesus did. This is how he loved. This is the affection that Paul was talking about. I'm going to love you the way Jesus loved you. And God can testify that this is how I love you. You know, I, I pray that this becomes our passion. That we will not love people only when they meet our conditions. Only if they meet our expectations, that we are, that our lives are not so rigid that we're not willing to allow ourselves to be inconvenienced for someone. Especially to help someone to come to know Christ or to help your fellow brother or sister in Christ. Yeah, I thank God for all the people through, throughout our lives who have helped our family when it wasn't convenient. You know, there was a time where we needed to ride to church. And there was a brother who would drop his, drop his family off and then drop us off home. Long day at work, come to church at night, dropping off two families. And you know what we did as a result? When we finally got a vehicle, we did the same thing. And our motivation was we want to pay it forward just like this brother did. We want to keep the love going. Some people suck up all this love and they don't give it back out. We get, all this, we get all this from God and from each other, and then we don't give it out. And that's wrong. And God expects us to do better. Amen? Who do you need to be thankful for? 
tell them. Who have you taken for granted in your life? Ask God to forgive you. Who have you failed to appreciate? Tell them you appreciate them. When was the last time you thanked or showed appreciation for someone? Give them a card. It doesn't take a whole lot. Send them a text message. Hey, bro, I just want to say I appreciate you for that you fill in the blank. Sis, I really appreciate you taking out the time and you fill in the blank. It doesn't take a whole lot. How many times has someone done that for you and you just took it for granted? Showing up at your door, calling you, sending you messages. Hey, how you doing? And you just don't respond. That's not right. Because you know what ends up happening is if you don't respond, people stop reaching out. And then you have no excuse for not feeling loved. If you want to enjoy the people in your life, be grateful for the good in others. Practice positive praying. Pray for the good in people. Pray for the good things in people's life. God, I pray that they get, uh, uh, get out of the situation. Whatever it is, pray for character traits that you want to see developed in their life. Be patient with their progress. God is not done with us yet. And love people from the heart with the affection of Christ. Do something unconditional. Allow yourself to be inconvenienced to help a friend or a stranger. Love someone like Jesus. Paul had all these things in his heart. And because he did, he was able to enjoy the people in his life. If we do these things, I believe we too can enjoy the people that God has put in our life. God bless.